Listen for the word of the Lord this morning from Genesis 18. The Lord appeared to Abraham by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. He looked up and saw three men standing near him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent entrance to meet them and bowed down to the ground. He said, My Lord, if I find favor with you, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. Let me bring a little bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham hastened into the tent to Sarah and said, make ready quickly three measures of choice flour needed and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to the servant who hastened to prepare it. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, where is your wife, Sarah? And he said, there in the tent. Then one said, I will surely return to you in due season, and your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? At the set time, I will return to you in due season, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. He said, Oh, yes, you did laugh. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to, to God. God. So our two main human characters today, today is are Abram and Sarah. They are married to one another, and they are in a covenant relationship with God. The problem is that the covenant was based on God blessing them with a child, which has not come yet. The promise was to be that Abraham was going to be the father of nations, that his descendants would be numerous as the stars, and yet he has not had a child with Sarah. Oh, he has a child with a servant that Sarah encourages him to do, but it's not the promised child. It's not the child for Abraham and Sarah. If you don't remember the story and would like to read it, go back to chapter 12 in Genesis. That is where Abram feels God calling him and promising him that if he will follow faithfully, he will show him land that he can possess that he will become a father of nations, a father of children, and that he will be blessed so that others might also be blessed by God through him. So Abram, before his name is changed to Abraham, is faithful and follows God's leading and goes to the promised land. The only problem is famine strikes the land. So Abraham and Sarah get up and go to Egypt. There's some trouble in Egypt, so after a while, they're kicked out of Egypt, so they come back to the promised land. Still through all of that, Sarah never gets pregnant. She doesn't have a child. She is barren, as the scriptures say. 
And yet, God keeps renewing the promise, keeps reminding them that they're going to have this promised child. That leads us to chapter 18, where we read from today. It's been some 15 years since this promise, this covenant with God began for Abraham and Sarah. Can you imagine feeling like God told you something was going to come to pass? And then year after year after year, it does not come to pass. Fifteen years go by and nothing. I know in my life, I expect God to move a little more quickly, to bless me a little more readily. Fifteen years is a long time to wait. I think Abraham and Sarah may share some of my feeling that maybe God is not going to come through. Maybe waiting longer is not the answer. And so I think that accounts for the laughter that's described in the text. You probably remember that part where Sarah laughed. I want to read it to you again, starting in verse 10. Then one of these unknown travelers says, I will surely return to you in due season. And your wife, Sarah, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent entrance behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in age. It had ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have grown old and my husband is old, shall I have pleasure? She seems to be laughing at the absurdity of all but she's not the only one who laughs if you look back in chapter 17 abraham does the same thing but it seems to me a little bit worse the way the authors record it in chapter 17 verse 17 after this renewal of this promise it says then abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself can a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old they seem to be laughing at the absurdity of the promise. Long experience has taught them that year after year goes by and no child comes. They are not getting pregnant. They are not going to have descendants. They began to feel that disappointment year after year, which finally leads them to discouragement. And I think to this laughter of the assertity of God continuing to promise, even though they're in advanced age, that somehow they're going to be the parents of nations, that they're going to have descendants numerous as the stars. They cannot believe that this is going to happen. So many of us, have had our own disappointments. Many have had disappointment after disappointment that has led to the same kind of discouragement and frustration that Abraham and Sarah are exhibiting in the passages that we're reading. But we know it's just not me or you or these two that it happens across populations, across the ages, to generation after generation. Everyone, if you've lived very long, has had a disappointment or two or three or more of experience, frustration, even unto discouragement. We all have experiences of suffering and loss. As I was 
reading over and over this passage. I was also reading this week in one of Henry Nouwen's book. He's one of the great spiritual directors and writers from the Roman Catholic tradition, widely published professor at major universities. He has written about all this. He writes that since all humans across ages and populations experience this disappointment and discouragement, suffering and loss, we can use it to connect with others. We can use it to understand others better, even if their backgrounds are different than ours, because we have this common experience of disappointment, of suffering and loss in our own lives. Now and tells the story about his own mother's death. And even though he felt like he should know how to handle it, he was a priest after all, that he was really struggling that every time a holiday rolled around after her death or a special day in her life rolled around, he said he felt himself just being sucked back into this debilitating grief. He was trying to figure out why he was struggling so much. And he said after a good long time, finally he began to get just a glimpse or a glimmer of joy ever, every now and again. And he said he began to realize that, of course, he was not the only one who was suffering. He was not the only one grieving. He's not the only person who's had disappointment and discouragement in his life. He left his university professorship and went to work in a home of disabled adults, those dealing with mental and physical challenges. And he says while he was there, he began to think more about what all people struggle with, how everyone has disappointment and discouragement. He writes that he began to see human suffering as part of the larger story of God's suffering and God's life with us in the world. I want to read you just a few sentences of what he wrote. Community and solidarity are at the heart of the movement from sorrow to joy. When you begin to feel the pain of your life in relation to other people's pain, you can face it together. This is where the world come, passion comes from, meaning to suffer with other persons. Compassion feeling with, suffering with. I begin to think about the pressing pain that I'm aware of in our own day. I begin to think about one of our members who's on death row here in Oklahoma as Oklahoma begins to gear up for human executions again. I begin to think about people in the LGBTQ plus community who are still not covered with the same rights that others of us have, who are still not covered by hate crime legislation. I begin to think about the black community crying out across our nation in visible pain. I began to think perhaps what Nouwen is talking about is what is missing. I put this question in your outline. Could it be that our unwillingness to suffer with others, to empathize and to connect with others in their pain contributes to the crisis and the brokenness in our society. 
When I think about my own life, I know I try to avoid pain. I try to keep it at arm's length. I try to insulate and isolate myself at times from the pain of the world. And yet I read the Gospels and I see that Jesus weeps over the people and the problems they're having in his time. He weeps over the problems in the city as he looks out over Jerusalem. I read this passage from Genesis, and I want to skip on a few chapters after the pain is gone and better things are happening. Now and reminds us of a different way to see the pain, to feel your own pain, to look into the eyes and see the pain of others all around you. I believe all this is inviting me, and maybe you feel the invitation as well, to embrace more of the pain, to recognize the sorrow that comes from the brokenness and the disappointment, but not only to see it as something that is human, but to understand it as part of my relationship with God when I'm connecting with others in pain. Listen to this striking passage from now and. He says, this is how healing begins. Not by wonderful answers, not by do this or do that. It starts by experiencing the powerlessness of not knowing what to do together. That is why it's so important that we grow in compassion as we feel and live the pain of our own losses, our grieving hearts open to a wider world of suffering and loss, to a world of prisoners, refugees, AIDS patients, starving children, and the countless human beings living in constant fear. Then the pain of our life connects us with the moaning and groaning of a suffering humanity. So how do you deal with your pain and disappointment? How do you deal with pain and suffering you see happening to others? Abraham and Sarah deal with their own pain and suffering by maintaining their relationship with God, and yet they find themselves laughing at the promises of this God because God's promises have gone unfulfilled year after year after year. I think of our member, Richard Glossop. He is the person I mentioned earlier who is on death row. He lives in McAllister. He has been there for over 20 years now. He has maintained his innocence since his arrest. Another person admitted being the one who committed this murder that he's been convicted of. But even when he admitted it, he was prompted by police to say that there were others as a part of that. He named one other person, Richard Glossop. And so since then, Glossop's been convicted. He's been living on death row. His life is very restricted to a tiny cell most of the time. 
but he has access to a television set. And he gets Channel A from Tulsa, Oklahoma. He began to worship with us years ago. After doing that for a good long time, he sent me a letter asking if he might be able to be a part of this community. He felt like he was a part. He was wondering if we could send spiritual resources. I drove down to McAllister after making arrangements. I went in, spoke with him for several hours. I found his contention of innocence credible. I found his faith in God remarkable, given the circumstances in which he was living. And just as I would anyone else who I believe was sincerely seeking a relationship with God through Christ, I received him into the membership of this church. And yet twice, the state of Oklahoma has brought him to the brink of death, put him in the room next to the death chamber, and then almost miraculously, surely remarkably, both times he's received a reprieve before he was put to death. But now the clock is ticking again as Oklahoma begins to gear up to restart human executions. I'm not sure that I would be able to hang on to my faith as clearly and strongly as he does. It seems like an absurd situation to me. Does it not seem inhumane and less than Christian to bring a person to the edge of death, not once but twice, and then let them live, but live knowing that any time someone else has the power to end their life? The United Methodist Church officially stands against the death penalty, but I'm not here to argue for that today. I want us to think about the pain of people around us. I want us to consider Nowen's question. I put it in the outline. Are we willing to utilize the pain of our life to connect us with the moaning and groaning of a suffering humanity? Or think with me about people in the LGBTQ plus community. There's such confusion around human sexuality and what it means. There's such discrimination. These people who identify as part of that community often face discrimination in all kinds of ways. But even worse than that, sometimes they're attacked and beaten. Some have been murdered. It seems absurd to me. Can you use your pain to connect with the pain of someone else? Can you open your heart to someone else who perhaps has a different experience than you have had? If you ever take time, or maybe you have, to hear the story of someone who's experienced that, you will hear how much trouble and frustration and turmoil that it creates in their lives. I'm talking about adult people who identify in a certain way or love in a certain way, and yet we condemn them in so many sectors of our society, still in our own church. We have those kind of statements in our books. Can you feel your own pain and help? let it help you connect to others in their pain? 
I think this ideas of now and what we find in Scripture in terms of embracing the pain can also help those of us who are white better understand the Black Lives Matter movement. If we would first understand it as an expression of pain before you think of it as some kind of protest movement or an anti-police brutality movement, think about it for a moment as a movement expressing long pent-up pain. 200 years plus of slavery that black people have endured in our nation at the hands of white people. 100 years of Jim Crow, 60 years of separate but equal. And how many years of restrictions around education or shopping or housing or medical care or voting rights and it's still going on today. Oh, this Black Lives Matter, you think maybe is a new movement. It is not a new movement, just an expression of a very old movement that has roots, deep roots in American history. It goes all the way back to the beginning and the founding of our country. This is just the latest expression of this pain and long-suffering that have been visited upon a particular people. Are you willing to open your heart to people who are crying out because of their pain and long suffering? But before we stop today, I do not want us to miss that this story gives us great hope that even after long suffering, there can be a blessing. You can hear it in verse 14 where we read earlier, God is speaking kind of in the third person here and says, is anything too wonderful for the Lord? Is anything too wonderful for the Lord? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, there's nothing too magnificent, too big or too wonderful for the Lord to do. Sarah will have a child. God can provide a child for a childless couple after years and years of disappointment. God can bring justice to people on death row. Oh, yes, is it too wonderful for the Lord? God can bring safety and peace to a marginalized community. God can bring hope and equality to those of long suffering in our country. May we believe. May we stand firm in love and stand for justice and fairness and equality for all the people, for liberty and justice for all, as all of us have said over and over that we stand for that. Now it's time to stand for that and to live as if nothing, nothing is too wonderful for the Lord to do. Amen. And thanks be to God.